thank you guys so much for having us out and for, um, yeah, we'll see how this goes with the flexibility of like kind of a bit of a last minute um, switcheroo. But I, think, I feel like in things like this, in situations like this, God is always in that. Um, so I just trust that this is the message that God had for you guys tonight. And we're also praying um, in um, boldness that Ailey's just fine and that she's going to be sent home quickly. So keep praying for her. Um, so Dale gave a brief introduction. Um, I'll say a bit more about myself. Um, I am, yes, from America. Not everybody all at once. Um, from Texas, actually. People are always surprised to hear I'm from Texas because I don't sound like I'm from Texas, but I could if I wanted to sound like I was from Texas. Later, later, when we know each other a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, ten years ago on Friday, actually, yesterday. Ten years ago yesterday, I left America, and I moved to Cambodia. And um, I thought I'd be there about a year, maybe more, um, and I haven't gone home yet. Um, I mean, I've gone home to visit, but I haven't returned back for good. Um, and I think that's the nature of God's wild and amazing journeys that he puts us on. Um, I love what was said this morning about a call versus an invitation. Um, I wasn't actually planning to share this, but I will very briefly. I am the um, daughter of a priest, an Anglican priest in America. And anytime we moved, it was given to me the information that dad is being called to this new place. So I just understood the word called as an absolute mandate that that's just where you go. Um, and when we were called to a new church when I was five years old, and I started school in grade one, whatever the equivalent of that is here. And, um, and my parents were a little bit wary of the public school system, so they sent me to Catholic school. And as a six-year-old, I encountered nuns for the first time. And I understood enough to know that these women beautiful women of God, that they were also called by God to do what they're doing. And I thought it sounded like the most horrendous call in the whole wide world. I mean, they had to wear these funny things, and they couldn't be married, they couldn't have a family, and I just was terrified suddenly that God would call me to be a nun. And so one day in my room, I remember pleading with God and saying, God, if you just don't call me to be a nun, I'll do anything you ask. And that's a dangerous promise to make to the Lord. And he's reminded me of that several times throughout my call and my journey in the last 10 years. Um, but you said you would do anything that I asked, and I have not called you to be a nun. So here I am. Um, I, like I said, I left Cambodia 10 years ago, and we moved to, I moved by myself to Cambodia. And um, quickly thereafter, um, met a little boy who is now known as Isaac, and um, he stole my heart, and I never left Cambodia. He's now our adopted 16-and-a-half-year-old son, um, and that's a really cool story again for another day. But after I was in Cambodia for a few years and caring for Isaac, I came here to New Zealand um, to deliver a workshop on the work that I was doing in Cambodia, which was the work of anti-human trafficking. So in America, I was a psychotherapist, um, been in the field of mental health for all of my adult life. And I was in Cambodia working with survivors, adolescent female survivors of human trafficking and sexual exploitation. And so I was asked to come here and give a workshop at a mission conference about that work. Um, and there was this young, 25-year-old, very, very high-energy youth pastor um, that came to my workshop, um, and he's heading for the back door right now. And um, yeah, so he's now my husband, and he moved to Cambodia with me after a few years of dating, um, and we served there together for five years. I was there a total of eight. Um, 
So like other than our adopted son Isaac, who's like I said 16 and a half, that's fun. Um, we have three um, daughters who are here around here somewhere, Quinn who's five, Nora who will be three in January, and we little Addison who's sitting on her godfather's lap um, in the back and she's four months. Um, so now, we left Cambodia obviously about two years ago, and we are now serving the Diocese of Wellington, working for NZCMS as mission enablers. Um, sorry, really quick, Scotty, how long do I have? Till five? Yeah, you, you've got ages. Ages. And you're going good, so just keep going. <laughs> okay. I'm a bit long-winded. You don't want to tell me I have ages. That's great. Okay, cool. I'll keep going. You have a voice to listen to. It's that American accent, I think. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, so, we're, like I said, we're working in Wellington. Diocese of Wellington is mission enablers for NZCMS. Um, and it's really, really cool because God's allowed us to use a lot of what he did in our lives and through our lives and through our ministry in Cambodia now in New Zealand. And we have a real heart for New Zealand and for seeing the churches here raised up and mobilized for what God is doing around the world. Because that's how we all work with one another and create this synergy and this flow and this energy like we were talking about this morning with the church around the world. Um, and we can all be about what God is doing in our own little spheres of influence. Um, so that's 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 us. Um, this morning, this morning, it was supposed to be this morning, tomorrow morning. Tonight, I would like to talk to you guys a little bit about um, broken relationships. So when you look at mission, and what is it that we, why is it that we engage in mission, um, it can be explained in this kind of understanding of four broken relationships. So we have God, and we have... Um, Relationship with God and ourselves. We have relationship with them, with ourselves, like our, my relationship with me. Um, we have a relationship with others, and we have a relationship with creation. And all of those four have relationships with one another. God has a relationship with others and creation. And so it's this, this web of relationships um, that in our world right now are broken. So back in Genesis 1, um, God created the world. And his, his idea and his model of creation was what we saw in the Garden of Eden. And we saw this perfect communion and wholeness with God. So God and his creation and his people and us were meant to live in community with one another. We were not meant to exist in isolation of God. But then what happened? The fall happened. And sin entered our world. And when it did... We, there was exile from the Garden of Eden, and suddenly there is no more wholeness in the relationship with God. There's a brokenness there, and there's a brokenness in our relationship with ourselves. So Anna tonight was, was going to talk a little bit about um, work around those broken relationships with others in the world and creation. Um, but what I'm going to talk about is, so she, we may be able to cover that tomorrow morning, we'll see. But what I am going to talk about and here to talk about tonight is our broken relationships with ourself and with God. So God and self. Um, so I would like to take a little bit of a journey into the Old Testament with you guys tonight. Um, so I'm looking at Exodus and the story of the Israelites in bondage in Egypt. And I'm sure many of you know this story and may, some of you may not, um, but I'm going to retell it anyway. So... Um, God's people, the Israelites, were in Egypt, and they were in bondage in Egypt, the Egyptians and Pharaoh, for generations. And um, 
God came to Moses, and we know the story of Moses. Um, God, God's, God came to Moses, and he said to him, look, you're going to be my voice, and we're going to get God's people out of Egypt. And Moses was like, but I can't talk. I can't do this. I can't speak in front of people. This is not okay. And so he said, don't worry. I'll give you Aaron too. And you guys go along, and you talk to Pharaoh, and you're going to proclaim release for my people. And so I can only imagine how that felt for Moses and Aaron. But they obediently went and answered that call, and they went to Pharaoh, and they said, um, God says, let my people go. And if you don't, I'm going to do a lot of horrible things. And so he proclaimed that prophecy to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's first reaction was, no, of course, I'm not going to let your people go. My whole economy relies on your people. And so that's when the plague started, and the locusts, and God sent all these horrible things into Egypt, the turned the blood of the river Nile, or sorry, the water of the river Nile into blood, and flies, and locusts, and all sorts of horrible things happened. And time after time after time, Moses came back to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And so finally he came back with this really horrific prophecy. If you don't let my people go, the firstborn son of all of the households of Egypt will die. So Pharaoh, of course, I didn't believe, I don't know why he didn't believe, um, but he said no. And so that night, um, in order for God's people to remain safe, there were these really specific instructions given to them. Do you guys know what they were? Yeah. So it was Passover. Um, it's the, the blood of the lamb on the door and um, dressing in specific traveling clothes and the sacrifice and the unleavened bread. And so there was this really specific set of, of um, commands given to the Israelites to keep their people safe. So God's people that night celebrated this meal together, and that in that celebration of that meal, and by following the obedience of God, their firstborns were kept safe. And the next morning, all of Egypt woke up, and their sons had died. So Pharaoh said, that's it, get out of here, go. And so they left, and they're, they're leaving, and they're in their traveling clothes, and Pharaoh starts to regret his decision, and he sends the armies after him. And then the parting of the Red Sea happens. Can you even imagine what it was like to watch the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea? So God's people are fleeing, and the armies are coming after them. Moses lifts up his arms, because that's what God told him what to do. And the, the waters part. God's people pass freely, and then the waters close in again. And all of Pharaoh's armies are engulfed in the waters of the Red Sea. And they get into the other side. So all of these miracles after miracles after miracle have happened. And they get to the other side into freedom. And what do they do? They start to lose a little bit. They start to freak out. I don't know how long. We don't know how long. Is it days? Is it weeks? I have no idea. But they start to wonder, okay, where's the food that we're going to eat? And where's the water that we're going to drink? And this water's not drinkable. And what are we going to do? And God there, in Exodus 15, he, he, he makes this water drinkable. And then he identifies himself. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. And that's the first time in scripture we see God identify himself as Jehovah Rapha. What I think is really, really incredible about that is it's not, God didn't perform a specific act of healing like stand up and walk or open your eyes and see and then say, I'm the Lord that heals you. He actually delivered his people from bondage and then he said, I'm the Lord that heals you. So healing is this inter, like completely interconnected thing with bondage. And bondage it, for, for, the, for the Israelites was this very real bondage of captivity. 
Um, but freedom is is funny. Freedom is a is a scary thing because it's unknown um, for those of us. Who, for people who have been in bondage, once you're free, it's unknown territory and it's scary territory. Um, so I want to share a little bit of a story with you guys about one of the young women that I worked with in Cambodia. And um, we don't use real names because I believe in um, confidentiality and all of those good things. Um, but I'm going to call her Srena, which is a typical Cambodian name. Um, now Srena was a teenage Cambodian girl, and she act was in actual bondage. She was in um, slavery. She was... Um, abused and used for sexual gratification of others, um, and she'd been in that position for years. And um, she was rescued by an organization that Anna actually was going to talk about, or she still may, called International Justice Mission, and Anna worked with them in India. They do incredible work rescuing people from bondage around the world, all kinds of different bondage. Um, it's okay. My husband's replying to a group chat, and it's flashing yeah. over on my phone. Um, and I think he's asking for prayers for Anna. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. about Anna, Yeah, yeah, no, no, no worries. I'll just turn my phone over. Um, so, so, so right now was was in in bondage in this um, really really rough area of Cambodia. It was like a slum area. There was this giant building that was abandoned, and um, nobody lived in there. So there was a lot of squatters. And in that, there was a lot of prostitution that was happening out of those spaces because it was kind of like um, unmanned territory. And so an organization went in and they rescued her and they brought her out of that, that captivity. And she eventually ended up in the shelter where I worked in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And she um, was one that came to us quite excited about all of the possibilities of what her life could hold. Like she was really embracing of the rescue that she had just received. And she was asking all sorts of questions and she wanted to learn from everybody. So she wanted to learn from the house moms. She wanted to learn how to cook. She was deciding what kind of like um, career path she could follow. She was very, very exuberant um, in wanting to embrace her healing and her, her freedom. And she, um, one day when we just kind of thought we got to her to a point where there's some really incredible things happening and we can maybe put her into a, an educational program, she ran away. And we were like, Mom, you did not think that that would happen for her. And she ran away and we went out and we went to try to find her and we brought a police investigator of sorts with us and he managed to find her and take her out of the same place that she was rescued from to begin with. And we brought her back to the shelter and um, she did want to come that time and then she got back into the shelter and we did the same cycle again and then she ran away again and the next time she didn't really want to come back but we got her back and it happened three or four times and she just kept coming in and embracing this freedom and then running away and then coming in and embracing this freedom and then running away and why does that happen we were getting her opportunity we were getting her a job the possibility to make money the possibility to never have to return to the lifestyle that she lived before the possibility for healing and wholeness, but she kept running away. And that's a really hard thing to understand, I think, from the outside. Why do we resist that? Why do we resist that healing and that wholeness? Why do we doubt? Why did the Israelites doubt in Egypt? Now, I could give a psychological-based answer to that, to talk about like what is going on in our brains and, 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 and things to, to cause that to happen and especially in lack of, of, of full restoration healing. 
But actually, I think that's just some sort of scientific example for what we know is brokenness in our relationship with God. Because we are still broken, and we are still separated from God. We know that at this point, like Rosie said this morning, Jesus came that we might have life, and that we might have life to the fullness. Um, if you remember before Jesus died, um, he gathered his disciples together, and he did he did what the night before he died? Say it louder. Yeah, the Last Supper. The Last Supper. Like any good Jewish man would, celebrating Passover, just like they did that night in Egypt. Um, Jesus gathered his, his believers together, and, and he celebrated the Passover with them. He celebrated this meal with them. Just like the Israelites did as they were awaiting their own like release from their own bondage. The disciples were, relate, re, were awaiting their release from the bondage of sin in this world. In Jesus' death and resurrection, Rosie talked about this morning, um, she asked us the question of what does Jesus' resurrection mean to us? What does Jesus' resurrection mean to us? And I just want to take a minute, actually. And I don't know if you guys talked about this in your process groups. You might have. Did you guys talk about this in your process groups? But I just want to take a minute and bring that, either think about it if you haven't, or bring that to the front of your mind right now and think, what does Jesus' resurrection mean to us right now? So I'm just going to, like, give it a space of a couple of minutes. What does Jesus' resurrection mean to us? If you guys feel like you can, I'd love to hear some of the thoughts. Just call them out. What does Jesus' resurrection mean to you? Relationship with Jesus. Relationship with Jesus. Means we're saved. Means we're saved. Means we have a new story to live out of. Oh, means we have a new story to live out of. Gives us hope. Gives us hope. Hope for what? Everything ahead of us. Yeah, everything ahead of us. Rosie said today, um, resurrection means living and claiming that hope through the resurrection and living in, in anticipation of what is yet to come. Anybody else? Kingdom of heaven is coming. That's right. That's exactly right. So it's anticipation of what is to come, but it is also what can happen now, right? In the here and the now. And I think Rosie did an incredible job of um, helping us to see like what role we have to play in that, and that we actually don't have ultimate power, um, and we shouldn't. Goodness gracious! But we do have we do have some God is actually calling us to participate in this with Him. Um, but we have to do that in knowing that the work is not complete, and it never will be <coughs> on this earth, right? So we, we can, with this, this knowledge and hope of the resurrection, what does the resurrection mean to us? With these things that you guys are saying, the things that are spoken or unspoken, I guess the question is, what do we do with that? The resurrection means for us hope in a future. What do we do with that? If it means anticipation of what is yet to come with the Lord, what do we do with that? 
We write it in our journals and just kind of like, oh yeah, that's really good. That's a really good thought. And then we go home and we live our lives. What does the resurrection mean to us? You can look at this in a few different ways. I think that we can look at this in um, the hope and anticipation of the resurrection and how we um, walk alongside people in their brokenness. You know, we know that if, if we look at, like, like I said, the Garden of Eden and the view and the picture of what God intended when he created us in wholeness and community with him, communion, sorry, with him, and then we look what has happened as sin has ravaged, ravaged the world. People are broken. What does that brokenness look like in our world today? What are those areas of brokenness? Um, we know that um, sin is bondage. Um, the bondage of sin is death. So death and the ultimate separation of, of us from God. Um, but what does bondage look like now? I mean, for some of us in this world, bondage looks like bondage, like what you would think. Like the story of Srey, nah. For some of it's a little bit more obscure of a bondage. Maybe a bondage of um, sin in your own lives. Um, a bondage of uh, the effects of sin of the world on you. Um, maybe a, a physical or emotional bondage that you guys are struggling with. So we could look at it like we need to seek wholeness with God in order to walk alongside people in their journey for healing. So as we as a church um, come alongside people in their journey for healing, what does that look like? But there's another message here as well, and I think that's the, our own relationship with ourselves. So I talked at the very beginning of broken relationships with self. Um, so when, the, when sin came into creation and Adam and Eve ate the apple. What is the first thing that we know happened? One of the first things that we know happened. What entered in? Shame. Shame. Yeah, that's exactly right. Shame entered into the world. And how many of us feel, you don't have to raise your hand, feel shame today? How rampant is shame in our world today? And that is what gets into our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with God. And actually, those two things really shouldn't be separate. If our world was as God intended it to be, God and self, God and us together in unity. But it is kind of because we have been separated from God through sin, and we are constantly fighting to get back to that. I want to talk a little bit about, about that. Because as much as we want to be a missional church, and you guys are standing here in a really beautiful way, it's very inspiring really, and saying as a church, we want to be missional. We want to reach out to the last, the lost, and the least. But what about, what about us? Not to be selfish, but like what about our own journey of wholeness and healing? And what place does that have in the ministry that God is calling us to do? Um, when I was in Cambodia, I got pregnant with Quinn. Hi, Quinn. And I ceased to be able to emotionally manage the work that I was doing. So I was working with all of these um, survivors of human trafficking and I was fine at it. I always worked in like high crisis situations quite easily and suddenly I'm pregnant and I'm like aware of this life growing inside of me and I just couldn't cope anymore. I, there's this biological chemical thing I think that happens when you become a mother 
and um, it was happening, and I lost all of my ability to um, be able to just kind of like let those heavy emotional things cast off of me. Um, and so I asked God, you know, what does this mean? Like, that was my ministry. That's why I went to Cambodia. It's what I loved. Um, working and training Cambodians, therapists is what I was doing, to work with these survivors. It was a beautiful, beautiful participation in the healing work that God was doing over there. And I, I knew that I knew that I couldn't continue it um, in that capacity anyway. And so what I ended up doing is God led me after she was born to the work of a really cool organization called Living Well. And Living Well um, is a missionary and member care organization in Phnom Penh. And we did work with um, the people that were doing the ministry. And we were there to provide mental health support services for people that were working in really harsh circumstances. Um, some of them had their own, like, um, stuff and baggage and, and bondage from a past life that they brought with them into Cambodia, and it was flaring up. Some of them experienced really difficult things there, and they needed some help and support for those things. Um, and so I was a therapist in that program and walked alongside some really, really incredible laborers in the harvest of the Lord, and they were working um, really, really hard to do, to answer the call of whatever it was that God asked them to do. But they were broken, and we all are broken. And they were the brave ones that were coming forward and saying, look, I'm broken, and I need support in this. There were a lot of people that weren't so brave, and they burnt out and went home, or marriages broke down, or whatever else. And um, the ministry that God had called them to actually destroyed the image of God that they were representing. Um, Rosie said today, I think I'll get this quote right, Rosie, it was beautiful. Um, Nothing that God wants us to do in this world, so no call that he's calling us to participate in, um, is at the expense, well, calls us to neglect a part of our likeness in him. Right? So when I was working at Living Well, I'm going to tell you the story about a, a really awesome, brave young woman that I was working with. And she came over to... Cambodia to volunteer in um, a trafficking shelter similar to the one I had worked at. Um, and she didn't really know what she was going to do when she got there, but as it was in Cambodia, and it is in a lot of these developing contexts, you have very few skills, but you have more than the person next to you. And so you're put up into these positions of like authority and leadership that actually should make us all feel quite uncomfortable about the situation. So she kept being given more and more responsibility in her program. And she started to fall apart. She stopped sleeping at night. She developed this skin rash that she couldn't get rid of, that she didn't know what it was. Um, she was really, really depressed. She was really, really anxious. She went home and tried to sort it out and came back like five weeks later, and it just got worse. And so she came in, and we started working together, and she found it the bravery within herself to talk about a wound that had, had, had happened in her life in the past, a really, really deep wound that she hadn't really ever dealt with and hadn't really ever shared. And the nature of this wound was being triggered by the work that she was doing in this shelter. So she was seeing similarities of herself and her story and things like that in the, the work that she was doing. And that's often the way that it is. God gives us this, these experiences of our lives, and then we have this deep, deep compassion to just to reach into other people's lives that are experiencing similar things because you have empathy and you have that knowledge and understanding of what it is that they're going to, and you want to help. 
but she just hadn't found wholeness and healing herself. So she wasn't yet able to help without the expense of sacrificing who she was in Christ and, and her likeness in him and her wholeness in, in her relationship with God. And so, um, so it was, uh, it, I just can't tell you how much I commend her for her bravery. And we worked together for about a year probably. And we um, did a lot of really, really, really hard work together. And she sought healing and wholeness from the Lord um, and was on her knees crying out to him to make her whole. Um, not so that she could go live a cushy life and like hang out in her wholeness and just be this beautiful example of mental, mental and physical wellness that she could like write an article about for a magazine. She did it because she was desperate to serve the people that God was calling her to serve. And she wrote me a letter recently um, and said that she had been, like since I've been here, maybe six months ago, she'd been asked to become the director of this aftercare program. And she knows that if God had not done that work that we had done together however many years ago, there's no way that she would ever be able to serve him in that way. And that's, I think, the challenge. Like she, she, was th- she wrote me to thank me. And I was like, no, 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 like I actually, this is not false humility. I actually need you to know that it was such an honor to watch the way that she came running after the Lord for healing in her own wholeness so that she could serve him. And I count her as this example like way up here. And I think that she has a lesson to teach all of us. Um, God wants to make us whole. I've, I've heard a lot of talk recently, actually in the last two years, probably since I've been in New Zealand, and I think it's part of being back in the Western church culture and context about self-care. And I think the church has a really tenuous relationship with self-care because I think self-care often to, to like leaders of the church means, oh, I'm losing my leaders because they have to go and practice self-care. And, or um, they, you know, what, what is self-care even? We work with a, a bunch of young adults in Wellington and um, we have a teenage son as well. And he thinks he works really hard, and then he gets to watch two days worth of Netflix. And we're like, that's actually not self-care, buddy. That's like mind-numbing. Um, and so this relationship, I think, with what do you do? Do you go out, and you go forth, and you push yourself for the Lord until you hit absolute burnout, and you're no longer any sort of version of, of yourself? Or do you... Practice self-care and every third day watch, you know, a whole series of Netflix and binge and then feel kind of good about yourself and kind of like hungover from the Netflix. There's a balance in between that, isn't there? So what does it look like actually to find healing and wholeness and practice good care for ourselves so that we can serve God, so that we can serve God for a really long time? I think that... The answer to that is not a simple answer. So this is not something that we seek wholeness and um, and healing from God and then it's done. We don't um, finish that work ever. And that's back to what we were talking about with the resurrection. So we are hoping for all that is yet to come. We are hoping for the healing and the wholeness and the relationship with God that is yet to come. But we're also celebrating what can happen now. But we have to walk in this in this divide, in this gray area, in the, in the, in the middle of that, where we know that um, we're going we're gonna to seek that with the Lord, but we're never going to fully have it 
but that that's not going to keep us from continuing to seek it. How do we seek wholeness? I guess that's my, my next question for you guys. What does that mean? What does that look like? And another question that probably should be asked a little bit before that is, what are we seeking wholeness from? And that is going to be a different story for each and every one of you guys. Um, there is different types of bondage in all of our lives. But bondage always comes from sin. It always comes from sin. It might come from sin in our own lives. It might come from sin of the world that's been inflicted upon us. Um, but it's always from sin. And that ultimate back in the Garden of Eden, back in the broken relationship with God, what happened? So just take a few minutes right now and close your eyes and ask God to show you what it might be that, that he's wanting to make whole. Again, not to make whole so that we can be selfish with our wholeness, but to make whole so that you can serve him. The brokenness in our world can look like fears. It can look like anxieties. It can look like a chronic physical and mental health struggle. It can look like broken relationships. Family, you know, marriage, good friends. And if you feel like if you feel like that is showing you something, or maybe he's not, and maybe he will later. Um, I guess, what do we do, right? How do we seek wholeness? We can seek it in relationship with him. Do we, do we just hang out and wait for God to make us whole? No, not at all. We need to not be complacent in our journey for wholeness with God and cannot sit by and just kind of say, okay, yeah, I know this thing is in my life and I know that it's probably affecting my ability to serve God and it's definitely affecting my relationships, but it's just there and I kind of really don't know what to do with it and so I'm just going to pretend like it's not. We can't be complacent. We have to run fully after God and ask him to make us whole. And that is the beauty of what we have we have seen. Like this, so I started in Exodus and we saw God delivering his people from bondage in Egypt through the Passover or after the Passover. And he identifies himself as the God who heals them because he's delivering them from bondage. And he sits around the table, Jesus comes, and he sits around the table with his disciples and he celebrates Passover again. And he is anticipating and knowing that what's about to happen is he's about to die. And everybody's going to grieve. And then he's going to be resurrected. And in that resurrection, there is deliverance from bondage. The bondage of sin for all of us. And then when he comes back and he's resurrected and the resurrected Lord is walking among us, he promises us that right now we're going to have the Holy Spirit who can walk with us in this in-between space. But soon, one day, in the future, and none of us have any control over that, God's kingdom is going to come back to the earth. So we're, we're in that space. We're in the resurrected space where we have the Holy Spirit and we're waiting. So we need to run after God. One of the really cool things that I find about the Anglican Church in particular is the celebration of the Eucharist. And the way that the Eucharist, I mean, the Eucharist is the Last Supper. It's a remembrance of the Last Supper with Jesus, which is also a remembrance of Passover, which is a remembrance of God's first deliverance of his people from, from bondage. So whenever we celebrate the Eucharist, we're celebrating 
deliverance from bondage, bondage of sin, bondage in, in our own lives. But you can't just do it once, right? We don't just go and we seek healing once. We have to come back again and again and again because the kingdom of God is not yet here on earth. It will be one day, but it's not yet here. And so week after week, time after time, we have to come and we have to seek fellowship with the Lord and say, make me whole, Lord. Make me whole. Not so that I can just be whole, but so that I can serve you. So what does it look like to be a missional church in that space? It's really messy. <laughs> really, really messy. And I think that there is this really um, beautiful, chaotic messiness that can happen where you guys are, we're all, all of us in this room are seeking wholeness in the Lord. And it's through relationship with God. And it's through coming back to him time and time again and trying to find that reunification from the brokenness that happened with the fall. And time and time again, we come back to him. But we're weak human beings, and we get caught up in the world. Sometimes our own bondage affects our ability to even know how to come back to the Lord. And that's what this is about. That's what that you guys, as a community of believers, are to be for one another, is that space where you can all direct each other to God. And I think as you do that, you're all going to find more and more wholeness and more and more um, depth in your relationship with God. And also, more and more and more broken people are going to want to get on the boat with you guys. They're going to want to come alongside because they see this journey to wholeness. So I'm, I'm one of those people that in meetings, I'm always like, right, so what are the action steps? Like, I don't want to sit in a meeting and just hang out and talk about an issue come and on. then go home and, like, the issue hasn't been resolved, right? Yeah, that's right. Anyway, so I, I want to talk about action steps. <laughs> Preaching. And it's really easy for me to say, okay, close your eyes and think in your own chair about what it is that God is trying to do in you right now. But I I want to like I want to action step it and I actually don't really know what that looks like because I'm not I don't know how your congregation works and there's several different communities represented here. So here's what I'm gonna say on the fly. I actually want to take another minute and I want you guys to listen to the Lord. And I don't know if there's a musician because they can on the fly like play a little music. And and we can, you're gonna have worship tonight, so this isn't this isn't the end all be all, but just drown out the kids' noises and try to let God speak to you. And as you do, I want you to think about what you do with what God says. And maybe that response will come in worship tonight. Maybe that will come in a community, like entering into community with God, communion with God tonight through worship. Or maybe it will come with having a conversation with somebody or reaching out or asking somebody to come alongside you and be accountable with you. But no matter how long we've been on a journey to wholeness, we still have more wholeness to go. Right? So even if you're, you've been quite self-aware and you've been on this journey of seeking healing for yourself for decades, we still have further to go. So I guess my question is, on your heart, what is God asking you? What is he seeking to bring to light to show you that maybe if we could just address this one thing and you could come to him with this one thing, you could be more effective for him in ministry for the next 30 years 
So just take a minute and take a deep breath. And just ask that God would just show you. And he would speak to you. God knew who he created each of us to be. And if it weren't for sin, we would be different versions of who we are right now. But deep down, it's, it's there. And I think it's this journey on this earth is about us seeking to be closer to the version that God created us to be before sin entered our lives and entered our world. 